say a few years ago now, uh, when we were living down in Hillsboro, North Carolina, I was thinking about this as I put this together. We used to live down in Hillsboro, near Chapel Hill. And I really, we really miss living down there. Uh, um, I worked for Terry, which I don't know if y'all knew this or not, but that is a containment area for relocated Yankees. It's what that's called now. Sorry to those of you who identify as Yankees in the building, uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's where I worked, but we, we lived in Hillsborough, and then, of course, Chapel Hill is just a little south of there, and um, I was thinking about this this morning, again, apologies for the political reference, but um, you don't hear much talk about uh, Jesse Helms anymore, plus a good reason, uh, but um, anyway, he has this little thing back now, Chapel Hill. Uh, he, they were fussing about the zoo. He was like, I don't know why we need a zoo. Just put a fence around Chapel Hill is what he would say. Um, <laughs> but I say all that just in my, it's my own reminiscing, uh, reminiscing of that time. I really liked, really enjoyed living there in Hillsborough where we live. And um, I remember there was a time that we'd go occasionally over to Durham, which is just next door practically. And we'd live in, we, we would go over there, and there was a, a, a place that I would go do some, there was some work, like a coffee shop or whatever there. I'd do some work there, and then I'd walk across the street to this uh, Peruvian chicken joint that I like to go to. And um, Jude was with me at the time, and we were going to cross. It's over there on 9th, 9th Street, because you know 9th Street in Durham. It's not a very heavily traffic road. It's got some cars to go through it, but it's, it's pretty pretending as far as traffic goes. But I remember Jude with me. I don't know. This is he's like seven, eight years old, maybe if he's even that old. Uh, but we were going to walk across the street. And I mean, it's, I mean, I think I like flashing lights and everything. I mean, you could about dance in the middle of the street. Nobody's going to hit you. It's not that dangerous. Is all I'm trying to get you to see. But I remember when we were walking across from the place I was working at to go over to uh, the chicken place. I went down. It was an instinct. I remember it was just it, it emblazed into my mind. But I remember putting my hand down and saying, do let me hold your hand. And I walked across this street. Now, again, I want to make sure you know this is not a very dangerous street. But the reason I did this was not because it was dangerous. It's because I'm his dad. He's my boy. And I'm bigger than he is. And I'm more trustworthy. And I'm going to protect him. I care for my son. I love him. I want him to be safe. I want him to be healthy. I'd die if he got hurt. His mom would kill me too, I can tell you that. But I'd die if he ever got hurt. And, and, and it was a simple little act, but I remember putting my hand down there, and I, I'm sure I did it a hundred times, other, the one specific time for some reason, it stuck in my mind. I remember putting my hand down, holding his hand, walking across that street, going in and getting something to eat. But I think all the, the power and all the emotion that's summed up in a dad putting his hand down, holding his little son's hand, is exactly what God is trying to communicate to Israel in this passage I'm going to read to you. In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is detailing some judgment. It's pretty harsh. You go back and look at 39 chapters, 1 through 39. It's, it's hard. And if you can imagine you're the one receiving that because God's talking to you about you, I mean, if you take it seriously, that is, it's got to make you a little nervous. I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back when you get home this afternoon, just skim the 39 chapters. It's pretty rough stuff. 
But then in chapter 40, there's a little bit of a flip that happens where he says at the beginning of chapter 40, he says, Comfort ye my people, saith the Lord, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He's saying, all right, I told you bad news, but it's good news. It's good news. It's okay. Be careful. It's okay. It's okay. And the source of comfort, just so y'all know, to make sure we tie this together, for the last four Sundays before this, we were talking about the source of that comfort. That's that suffering servant who would come, and he would atone for the sins of all the people. He would, he would, he would make it so that they could be once again acceptable. They would have justice. They would be restored. They'd have victory. That's why. That's why they had this comfort. That's where it comes from. But in the passage I want to give to you, and I'm just gonna, we're going to zero in on one little passage in all of what God is comforting His people through. But in Isaiah chapter 41, I'm going to begin in verse 10. I'm going to read down to verse 16. Again, I am necessarily diving into the middle of a text. I understand that. But I want you to notice as we read this, there are, there's, a, there's a little phrase in here. It says basically, fear not. Fear not. It's used three times in this text that I'm about to read. Fear not. And I want you to pay attention to that as we read this. If you're able to stand, please do. If you're not able to, I understand. But I'm going to read this, and I'd like you to stand for the reverence of the reading of the Lord's Word while we do so. Here's what the Scripture tells us, beginning in verse 10. It's God talking. He said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them, and shall not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as, not, as, as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not. I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth. Thou shalt stretch the mountains and beat them small, and shall make the hills of chaff. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. You can be seated. I think some of us are worried. I'm worried. And I'll just take it personal. I'm worried about how things are going to turn out. Some of y'all are fretting about the condemnation. You know you've done wrong, and you know that there's judgment coming. Some of you are confused about how to move forward, what to do. Here's the reality of the situation determining how do I move forward. As I'm reading this passage, I'm reminded of that soul song that I understand was written by Ira Stanfield. It says, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. There is a lot, a lot, a lot to worry about. There's a lot of things to be afraid about. And if I had the time and you had the energy, we'd sit there and we would just moan and complain about all of it because there's a lot there. But I have God's Word on it that I just read to you that you do not have 
to fear. You do not need to fear. He says, fear thou not in verse 10. Why? For I am with thee. I want to focus on the fact, first of all, that I am with thee. I don't, we don't need to fear because God, Yahweh, God is with you. God is with you. God is the one. He is your God. Now, I want you to understand this about this. About this. In fact, could you flip that over to that next slide that's on there? Let me try to see this. This word that is in the Bible, and I've got a King James Version that I'm reading out of here, and you will look there. It says, I am thy God in verse 10. If you go back to verse 4, who is talking here? Go to verse 4 and look at this with me. This is very important for you to see this. He says, right, a couple of lines, the second sentence there, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. you see that? Now, if you look at your Bible, it probably says, if you have a King James Bible, it says, L-O-R-D, Lord. And those are all capital letters. Do you see that? This is something that a lot of translators will do for, to help us understand that this war, word means something a little different. There's no reason to capitalize all those letters. It's not normal to do that. Why are you doing it? Because it's trying to signal that there's something else going on here. Because this name is the proper name of our God. And it's Y-A-W-H. Four letters in the, in the Hebrew alphabet. Four letters, but that's the name that God used. And you say, well, Matthew, why are you doing this? I want you to hear me. Listen to what I'm saying. This is very important. That word, we would anglicize it as Yahweh. When you hear people say Yahweh, that's what they mean. Yahweh is this word. By the way, the Jews would have never said this word. This is a word they wouldn't even say. It was so holy and so sacred that they wouldn't do it. They don't even put, they, they just put those four letters because those were the four letters that said, this is our God. And we might, you might also hear, especially in the New Testament, you'll hear the word Jehovah. Do you know that word, Jehovah? It's the same basic word. It's just the Greek, basically the Greek version of the word. It's the same word, but in the Bible, again, in my translation that I'm reading out of, it does capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see that, that's that word that's, that's in mind. It is, the, it is the, the Lord that's in mind here. But I want you to notice about this, this name. First of all, it's the proper name of God. That's who he is. There's all kinds of gods in this world. People want to say this is a god, and that's a god, and idols this, and God's bad. I mean, there's every religion under the sun that worships all kinds of gods. But there's one, Yahweh. There's one. This is his name. Right, my name is Matthew Tilly. My God's name is Yahweh. That's his name. So I want you to enter, I want to introduce you to my God. His name is Yahweh. You need to know that. But second of all, I need you to know that this word in its meaning, what it ultimately means is he is the self-existing one. Everybody in this room has a mom and a daddy. You didn't get here by yourself. You might not like your mom and daddy. You may not obey your mom and daddy. You may have wished you weren't here. There's all kinds of bad things you might have been thinking, but I'm telling you, the reason you exist is because there was somebody who came before you. You understand that? You understand basic biology, right? My God didn't need somebody before him. He is self existing. It's very important for us to understand he is self-existing. But here's the other thing about this thing. Not only does it tell me what his name is, not only does it tell me that, 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 that there's something very special about his character that he is the self-existing one, it is also what he used as his covenant name. It's his name that he used, if I can say it this way, you understand what I mean, I hope. It's the name he used to sign the paperwork. Now, he didn't actually sign any paperwork. You do understand that. But I'm trying to get you to see it's the name he would have signed if there were the paperwork to sign. 
It's the name that he put forward to the children of Israel to say, I am your God and you are my people. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you and protect you. As long as you do the things I tell you to do, there's a covenant that he made in the Old Testament. They broke that covenant. But do you know how God renewed that covenant? Y'all remember this? I know you do. Because y'all remember everything I preach. But I remember preaching not too long ago that the way he renewed that covenant was actually by giving us Jesus Christ. He was that renewed covenant. But the point is, all this is to simply say is that this name, this name, says He is sovereign over everything. There is no one like God. He is above everything else. He is powerful above everything else. And He is a covenant name. He is not just God. He's my God. He's your God. He's our God. He is ours. Yes, He is amazing and He is above everything else, but He is our God. And because He is on our side, He is with us. He is holding our hand. Go to verse 10. He says, because of that, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be panicked. You don't have to go looking around. That word dismayed essentially means go looking around. I've done this. If I've done this once, I've done it a hundred times. I'm ready to leave the house, and I can't find my wallet, and I can't find my keys. And Vanessa says they're supposed to be in that little basket. And I said, well, I don't ever put them in that basket, but I know that's where it's supposed to go, but they're not there. And you know what I do? I am dismayed. I am looking every which way. Where's that? Where are those keys? Where are those things? I got to go. I'm late already. I got to go. I can't find them. You all know the feeling? That's what that word dismayed means. That's exactly what it means. And he says, don't do that. Don't go looking around frantically. This is the same feeling that put Lot in the mess that he got in. Do you all know Lot? This is Abraham's nephew, Lot. And Abraham and his whole family went down to Egypt one time. There was a whole time they went down to Egypt. And they got, and Lot got to like it down in Egypt. He really did. He kind of liked it down there. And he gets back to basically what we know as Israel today. He gets back there. And you know what he does? He gets to looking around. I remember what I had back in Egypt. I want some of that if you want. And you know what he found? His eyes landed on a place called Sodom. That's pretty good. I like that. He got to moving closer and closer to Sodom. And <laughs> he got so close to Sodom that God had to, I mean, it wasn't because of Lot, but because that, that city was so full of sin, God had to destroy that sin, but he had to yank Lot out of there. But the point of that story is to simply tell you that when we get to looking around, we get to frantically seeking things out. We get some short-term uh, help. We get what, what, our, what we think we need. It scratches that itch that we have. But there's long-term pain that comes with that. When we try to solve it our own. But he said, you don't have to be the of my righteousness. He says, listen, I've got the power. I can do anything. And I'm going to strengthen you with my power. And he says, with my righteousness, God can do anything and everything he does is right. Now, this, that's, a, that's an amazing thought to me. I, I know some powerful people. They don't know me. They won't answer my phone calls. But I know some powerful people. I know some powerful people. But I can tell you right now, those powerful people, I can't count on them to do the right thing. But my God, He can do anything. And no matter what He does, it is right all of the time. It is exactly the right thing. And that God, Yahweh, 
with my God and go to verse 11. Behold, all they that were incensed against you, those people that were upset with you, they shall be ashamed and confounded. They're going to be put to shame. They're going to be defeated. He says, they shall be as nothing. And when they strive with thee, they shall, they that strive with thee, they shall perish. That God, my God, our God, he wins no matter what. He is the winner. There is going to be shame. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be destruction put upon those people who come against the people of God. That's what he's promised there. He says so much in verse 12. He says, you're not even going to be able to find those people because my God wins. You say to you this way, there is not a problem in this world that my God can't handle. There is not a worry in this world that my God can't calm. Doesn't matter who the president is. My God is still God. It doesn't matter when and if this virus comes back to haunt us again. My God is still God. It doesn't matter what Russia decides to do because my God is still God. It doesn't matter if the stock market crashes and we all lose whatever retirement savings we've got. My God is still God. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've been abandoned by people that you love and that you care about, because my God is still God. If that cancer returns, my God is still God. You don't have the answer. People ask you, well, what are you going to do next? What's going to happen? How's this going to go? How's the situation going to turn out? And you don't know. My God is still God. And He wins. No matter what, we can't even come up with a scenario in which he doesn't win. He wins every time. And that one is my God, Yahweh. He is the one. So we don't have to fear because Yahweh is our God. We also don't have to fear because Yahweh, that God that we just talked about, he holds your hand. Look at me in verse 13. For I, the Lord thy God, look at you in there, see verse 13, Lord, what's it, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the same God we're talking about, that Lord thy God, hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Now please understand about our God, he is all-powerful, he can do anything, but a lot of times we think about these all-powerful deities, this remote and outside of everything that's going on. I want you to know that that all-powerful God is also, as Matthew chapter 1, I think it's verse 23, says, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Yahweh, the, old, the all-self-sufficient one who doesn't need anybody, but yet chooses to have a covenant and a loving relationship with us. He also is the one who is with us. He cares for you every day, including right now. This is why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, that we are to be casting all of our cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. And that sense of He cares for you, it's not just that He loves you and He likes you. He does. He loves you and He likes you. But He cares for you that, in that He is actively working on your case. He is involved in your situation. He is there, and not only is He on your case, sort of, not just in some sort of remote, way far away place doing that, He is physically present. He is physically ever-present with you. He's even promised, and Jesus said in some of his last words on earth, he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He says, I'm with you to the end. And in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Jesus has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. 
We have Him with us all the time. And that shows up, that God with us shows up in this verse 13, this gentle holding of our hands. Prompts me to think about Psalm 23. Y'all know this psalm. It's a very familiar psalm, Psalm 23. But in verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy, thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. He says, the psalmist is saying, listen, I'm going to go through some pretty rough times, but I know that the all-powerful God is right beside me. He's with me through that whole situation. He even says in verse 5 of that, that psalm, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, that's a pretty neat sight. You're sitting there, I'm sitting there at least, I don't know how y'all are, but I know I am. Sitting there shaking in my boots. Oh my goodness, they're going to get me. I don't know what's going to happen. And God said, just calm down. I got some dinner ready for you. I'm going to fix something for you. Just sit down and just enjoy yourself a minute. Because I'm right here. They'll hold on. They'll wait. They'll wait. Don't worry about it. We're going to do this right now. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's sovereign. He's self-existent. But he also is holding your hand. And I want you to think just for a minute about holding a hand as I remember holding my son's hand walking across that street. What am I doing? What is, what is a parent doing as they hold their child's hand while they're giving guidance? Kids don't know where to go, do they? Or they know where they want to go. They don't know where they're supposed to go. So sometimes you need to hold the hand and say, you're going this way. So you need that for guidance. You, they give it for guidance. I, I need God to hold my hand and give me some guidance. They also get, hold their hand to give them protection. I never had this because I was the older sibling, and um, I think my sister could take care of herself, so I didn't have to help her in this way. But I can imagine if you were that child who they picked on you a lot, messed with you a lot, and there was that older, bigger brother or sister that you would have beside of you, those bullies might have a heyday on you while they're not around. And then if they show up, they ain't bothering me. You understand that? My God is with me all the time. There's all kinds of mess that people want to do, try to do, things that people try to things that happen in this world. But your God is there to protect you. So he holds your hand and nobody's going to mess with you. The other thing that that holding of hand does is it just shows, I love my son. God's saying, I'm going to hold your hand. He's saying, listen, I, I love you. I'm going to watch over you. I care for you. And that kind of proximate, close presence could instill in us confidence. Y'all know the song, Trust and Obey? Listen to Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. Because the God who called you is going to equip you to do whatever needs to be done. So God says, I need you to go into this battle. I need you to do this thing. I will be scared, but he's got my hand. He's got this. I can trust him. I can listen to him. The battle looms large, but he looms larger. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when you have those dark valleys of depression, which are very real, and maybe very debilitating to some of you, He's got your hand. When death knocks on your door, and there's some of you that have had, you've had that knock come, and it's taken a loved one of yours. Some of you may be fearful of that moment. I, I know I'm a little fearful of that. If I'm honest, if I'm honest about it, and I think about it, oh my goodness. 
some of y'all might be fearful of that, but in those moments, I want you to know that He's with you, holding your hand in those moments. Sometimes you're sitting there at home and the pain just won't stop. It might be physical pain in your back or in your, in your chest or in your shoulder or in your head, uh, wherever that pain is. Or, or, or maybe it's emotional pain because somebody's hurting you very deeply, very, very, very real, very real pain. And you're upset about that. It just won't stop. It won't go away. I want you to know that Yahweh is holding your hand in that situation. And the only thing you're certain of is if you're not certain, when the road ahead looks like there's just fog on it, when you don't know what's going to happen, I want you to know that God's hand is holding your hand, guiding you, protecting you, and helping you, and giving you the love that you need. That's what He's doing in that situation. When fear is gripping you, when you're confused by everything, your God, Yahweh, loves you, and He is holding your hand in that situation. So we don't have to fear because Yahweh is holding our hand. It goes me to verse 14. Glad you get into verse 13. He says, I will help thee. And then he says, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob. I don't know about you, but if anybody's calling me a worm, um, I don't know what I'm going to do about it, but I'm going to be offended. I'll tell you that much. I don't know if I'm going to do much about it, but I'm going to be offended about it. I don't feel good. Don't feel good. Don't call me a worm. I don't like that. I don't like that. But it does always help to have a little bit of proper perspective about yourself. When God refers to Jacob, or rather Israel, uh, that's uh, another name that he would have given to Israel, the nation, he's referring to them as a worm. He's simply saying what a worm is. You're insignificant in the scheme of things. You're powerless to control your circumstances. You might even be by some especially little girls who don't want to hold worms, considered gross and not something to be around. <laughs> but the point is, you're, you're, you're considered something to be forgotten. You're not that important. But he says, you are a worm, but I want you to see there, he says, fear not thou worm, Jacob. I will help thee, saith Yahweh, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He says, you don't have to, yes, you're a worm, but your hope is not in your strength, in your power, in what you can do. Your hope is in the God who can. Your hope is in the God who transforms worms into mountain movers. If you go to the next verse, he says, I'm going to give you like you're going to peace. Now, I know worms, they, they eat dirt, right? That's what they do. They just got out of their world. But I ain't seen too many worms moving mountains. They might move little respect to dirt. But this is the God who transforms a worm into something that can tear down a mountain and move it. That's the God we serve. He even talks about how in verse 16 that they were victims, but they are now going to be victors. He talks about in the last part of verse 16 people who are losers who are going to be glorious. See, this is the kind of transformation he does. Not because the worm is anything spectacular because it's not. It's a worm. But he says, I'm God and I'm going to help you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to work in this situation. In fact, let me just go ahead and give you some comfort, especially some of you. First of all, if you think you're the stuff and you don't need any help, this is not for you. For the rest of you, the two or three that are not that now still paying attention to me, the rest of you, I want you to know that this is a comfort to me that God only works 
in hopeless causes. That's what he specializes in. He doesn't specialize in that. Jesus came down and he said, if you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. But I've come to help those who are lost, those who are needy, those who need hope. That's what he's come for. He works in hopeless causes. In fact, he even says in James, he says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God works in the hopeless causes. He made a prophet out of a donkey. He took that, that donkey that Balaam was riding. Balaam, by the way, is the real prophet, as we understand it from the human perspective. But God put a word in that donkey's mouth. He can transform a donkey into a prophet. He does that kind of stuff. He's one that took, a, took an illiterate man. The Bible makes it clear that Peter could not read or write. He was ignorant as far as this world is concerned. But God made him absolutely a scholar. You go back and look at First Peter and Second Peter. The letters are written. You look at the sermons he preached in Acts. That is nothing but God's transformation, turning a worm into something that shouldn't be. But he does that. He took a man who was by all accounts a terrorist. The Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was a terrorist. He would terrify churches. He would go from place to place, and he would yank people out of the the proverbial pews. I know they didn't have pews back then, but the proverbial pews and took them off to be to be um, uh, to be persecuted. But he turned that man who was a terrorist and he turned him into a preacher of the gospel. That's the kind of stuff he does. And you know what he hasn't done yet? I'm looking at a whole church full of people that at least by your testimony, you're saying I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that means he took a bunch of sinners and made you saints. He does that even now. He takes sinners and turns them into saints. He makes those that are the darkest of sinners, those that have the darkest of sin stains, and he makes us pure and holy and righteous, sprinkling us with the blood of the Lamb. You need to understand that my God, Yahweh, is uniquely qualified to help you. Uniquely qualified. There's nobody that can help you like God. He's going to help when everybody else disappoints you. Politicians are going to disappoint you. In fact, in case you didn't know that, politicians are going to disappoint you. I'm going to say this a little bit louder for those in the back. There's not a politician that's ever existed or will ever exist that will not disappoint you. I don't care what political leaning you go after, they will disappoint you. Can I also just swap out the word politicians for preachers and pastors? There ain't a one that's ever lived or ever will live that won't disappoint you. In fact, if you don't get a little mad at them, sometimes they ain't doing their job. It makes me worry. Most of y'all say you love me, so I think I ain't doing I don't know if it's me or it's y'all. One, one, somebody, somebody's messed up here. But I promise you, in a pastor or preacher life, it's not going to disappoint you at some point. It's not a boss, a friend, or a family member that won't disappoint you. Your hard work is going to disappoint you. Your own intuition is going to disappoint you. This church is going to disappoint you. The system that we build our lives on, the, the court system and the governmental system and all these things, they're going to disappoint you. To God, He will help you. He will transform you. He'll give you the power to do things you didn't think of possible. That's what He does. Don't fear. Yahweh will help you. Do you feel defeated, overwhelmed? 
I, can, I, I just have to stop and say, I think I might be, there might be somebody here. I, have to, I, I don't know. I don't have any intuition on this. I just, I just know myself, where I've been and where I'm going and how I'm thinking. I imagine there's got to be, at least I'm sure hoping, there's just one or two like me. But you get a little overwhelmed and get a little defeated from time to time. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's like there's no hope and there's no way to fix it. There's no answer. There's no answer. There's no solution to it. But I'm hoping, that maybe, and maybe you're right there right now, but it's not there. But some face thing when you're there and fear is about to choke you out. You're about to just say, I quit. I'm done. I can't. I want you to hear the voice of Yahweh speaking to you. And he is saying, he said it three times in this passage, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. I'm asking you to hear his voice speaking to you right now. Hear his voice saying, don't be afraid. That, by the way, is not the voice of a man, not the voice of any old God, not some impotent deity that people have been bowing down and worshiping for centuries who can't do anything. He's not some crafty dictator who's just telling us his opinion and expecting we're going to follow after us, after him. He is not some cold and callous, distant communicator. He is the God of the universe. He is the self-existing one. And he will win. He will win and he will hold your hand while he does it. And he will help you be part of the victory. He is that God. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. I know who holds my hand. My invitation to you is for you to come to Yahweh, to God. You might know His name is Jesus. You know Him as the Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit. These are all names that God has revealed Himself to us. And this is the one true God. Three persons, one God. He is that God. And He's inviting you to come to Him. Come to Him. And you say, well, I am so scared. I want you to come to Him and say, God, hold my hand. Lord, I don't know what to do next. Ask Him, God, hold my hand. You may say, well, I, I, I thought I was going to heaven and now I'm not sure about it. I want you to come to Him and say, I need you to hold my hand. Show me what I need to do. You need to come to Jesus. You've got to come to Him. He will hold your hand and He will lift you up. Come to Him in faith, trusting that He will save you. Come to Him in faith, trusting that He is in control. Come to Him in faith, trusting that He will help you. God says in Jeremiah 33, Call unto me and I will answer. And so the great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'm going to ask you to stand. My invitation to you is, I think, hopefully pretty simple. Would you come to the Yahweh who sins? Will you come to the God who sins? You're invited to come and use the front of this church to place to pray. I'm going to stand right down front here, and I'll be glad to pray with you or just talk with you. And especially if you've never trusted Jesus to save you, today's that day. Would you come? Father, please move in the people. Help them to see their need of you. And beyond that, Lord, would you help them to see that you Holding to him. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.